welcome to the CCFR Radio Podcast, your source for news, updates, and stories from the CCFR. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 121 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Giltaka. Thanks for joining me again. Uh, Today on the podcast, we have a a mega episode. There's so much going on, so much to talk about. It's unbelievable. If you're a gun owner or even a Canadian just trying to make your way through life. But but anyway, as usual, I'll have Tracy Wilson on to go over uh, the most most of this stuff with me. But I've got a few things to cover um, with, uh, with you before that happens. But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Vortex, the force of optics. So thanks to our friends over at Vortex Canada for continuing to support the podcast. We really appreciate that. You can check out all their great stuff at vortexcanada.net. That's vortexcanada.net. Also, our great friends over at the Saskatchewan Rivers Chapter Safari Club International. They do a lot of great work over there, and uh, that includes supporting the CCFR, and they've been really, really great to us. Uh, if you want to check out all the great work they do, you can find them at saskriversci.com. That's saskriversci.com. And our new sponsors, CTOMS. Um, CTOMS Academy provides life saving training in trauma care and human performance. It's perfect for outdoor enthusiasts, hunters, shooters, anyone wanting to be prepared for emergencies. You can check them out at ctomsinc.com. That's CTOMS inc.com and finally our great friends over at north pro sports in saskatoon saskatchewan you can find firearms ammunition archery cold weather gear you name it you'll find it there check them out at northprosports.com that's northprosports.com all right so the first thing i want to talk about is our friend charles emailed me this video um and it's from fox news it's uh it's tucker carlson went to brazil for some reason and then he's having a conversation about firearm laws being um, like the uh, the re- restrictions being loosened in Brazil and why the government did that and what the results were. And so I found it really interesting. Check this out. The building uh, you see behind us is the place where we interviewed just about an hour ago the president, President Bolsonaro of Brazil. So one of the things we talked about was the crime rate here. Brazil is famously dangerous in its cities, and until recently it was one of the world's most dangerous places. In 2017, the country recorded its highest homicide rate in history. Then, when he took office and two years later, Bolsonaro did something that in the United States he would have been criticized very strongly for on CNN. He loosened Brazil's gun restrictions. He made it easier for people to keep firearms in their own homes. So what happened? Did people go crazy? More mass shootings? No, the country became a lot safer. Under Bolsonaro's gun policy, homicide rates in Brazil have dropped by 34%. Last year, Brazil's murder rate fell to its lowest level in 14 years. Eduardo Bolsonaro lives here in Brasilia. In fact, he is a member of Congress. He received more votes than any member in the Brazilian Congress. He's also the son of the president, one of his closest advisors, he joins us now. Eduardo, thanks so much for coming on. I should say you're you're quite an outspoken person here in Brazil and quite a famous person for our American viewers who don't know that. Uh, tell us the effect of the gun policy. Yeah, the gun policy here, President, he didn't change the law, but he changes the regulations. What made the access easier and cheaper for the Brazilians to buy a gun in Brazil. So what happened is... It's not only that we reduced the number of crimes, it was the biggest drop ever in the history of Brazil in murders rate. 
since 1980, when we started to have this measuring. So Brazil is safer, thanks God, because of this policy. And if you look here in a neighborhood, in Venezuela, for example, it's forbidden to do trades, to sell and buy guns since 2013. And Caracas became the capital that is the most, uh, uh, the number one in the world when you talk about murders. So Brazil is much in a better shape nowadays. So we've seen this in country after country. The left comes to power. They disarm the law-abiding. Criminals get to keep their guns, and the murder rate goes up. Is that what the left has in store for Venezuela if they win? Yes, sure, yes. Especially in Brazil here, this new, this very strong gun control law that we have, and I usually say that it's not a gun control, it's a gun restriction. It started in 2003. And since then, they promised to us that the number of the crimes would reduce. But in fact, is year after year, we had a new record of number of murders. So for the first time, like in decades that we are looking again, year after year, the murders coming down is now since 2019, when Bolsonaro took office and started his new policy about, about the guns. If your administration loses this next election, do you believe the new administration will ban civilian gun ownership? Sure, yes. There is no doubt about that because former president and former <laughs> prisoner Lula, he's talking about that openly, that he'll take back again all of the guns that Jair Bolsonaro, like during the Jair Bolsonaro administration, was sold. So he will do that. Amazing. So isn't that amazing, right? I thought I, thought I saw Najma Ahmed from the Spin Doctors for Protection from Guns in the Canadian Senate back in the Bill C-71 days waving a stack of paper at the senators and everyone, proclaiming about how she's an expert in these matters and firearm-related violence in all countries in the world, um, and guns, no, no less, and firearm regulation too, by the way, and claiming jurisdiction after jurisdiction, country after country, the evidence is overwhelming. It's incontrovertible that more firearms pro proliferating in a society mean more firearm injuries and death. And it is, it is not my assertion. This is, uh, this is information and data that has been replicated in jurisdiction after jurisdiction, in county after county, province after province, country after country. There is now an abundant and irrefutable body of international data and information and study which supports, this is not my assertion, this is the assertion of scientists and doctors and physicians who study this problem. And when, when things like this, and I mean, I tripped over this, you know, a guy emailed this to me. I didn't even find it for myself. I didn't see it on mainstream media. It, you trip over evidence all the time that is in absolute contravention of what these people say. You know, you have peer-reviewed studies in Canada that firearm laws don't have a, a, a positive effect on public safety or, or it's negligible. Like you, you, you see this stuff in country after country, you see it. And, you know, it's, it's funny, I, I mentioned something because I just recorded the, um, the interview with Tracy, and I mentioned something there. In this time where even your doctors are gaslighting you, your doctors, people you should be able to trust, like if I want to know what the real information is, I should be able to go to my doctor of all people and trust them, right? There's, and they, like, they even have taken oath, right, to be that person. But you're getting gaslit by them. You're getting gaslit by politicians. You're getting gaslit by the government. You're getting gaslit by everybody. And your intellectual um, uh, compass is spinning out of control. You're like, I don't even know who to trust anymore. And that, that, 
that actually hurts people intellectually. It, it, it emotionally breaks them. And that's what we've seen in our society, obviously, you know, 30% of the country, like you, they're, they're, they're screaming at you with the veins bulging out of their neck about something, you know, that is absolutely false, right? Like this is where we are as a country. Like it's, I don't know. I don't want to get too dark, but I mean, I'm sure everyone's noticed it. Right. Um, but anyway, in this time, I always say to myself, and I said it to Tracy in the interview, it's like, either something is true or it's not. And if you kind of stick with that, you can all, you can keep your bearings, right? You can be like, okay, well, I know that's false, even though this person's uh, in authority is telling me, it's telling that to me, right? It's saying that to me. If you just keep in mind, either something is true or it isn't. And if you're interested enough, you can find the evidence of whether something's true or not. You can find it for yourself. You don't need people to tell you. So anyway, the reason why I went on that long diatribe is, here, a guy just emails me this video and just look at Brazil. This isn't something that happened years and years ago. This is something that happened. This is information that is a week old. More guns equal less death. More guns equal less crime. More guns in legal hands equal people. That people are now safer as a result. It's just kind of interesting, right? And it's and it's funny. I mean, and and you know, when you have these people jumping up and down with their country after country, jurisdiction after jurisdiction, it's like, okay, well, what about Mexico? Mexico, you can't even own really a gun. And maybe if you can own it, it's like a bolt action. Do they have any firearm-related violence? It's illegal to own guns there, basically. Of course they do. It's 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 an it's it's a gong show down there, right? And it's like, well, what, what's different between Mexico and Canada? Oh, there's a whole bunch of socioeconomic and governmental issues that are different. Oh, okay. So it's not the amount of guns in law-abiding citizens' hands. Like it's it flat, like it's cut and dried. Even OECD countries, right? The Czech Republic has a lower firearm-related crime rate than we do in Canada, and they have concealed carry there. They're a first-world country. It's in the middle of Europe, and they have concealed carry for purposes of self-defense. And as I said, I brought this up in Gun Ban Canada Exposed. I'm not crusading for concealed carry. That's, I'm, we're not even advocating for that right now. We have a policy that says, well, it just makes sense based on evidence, and that's it. We're not actively lobbying for that. But it's like countries that even have concealed carry for law-abiding citizens have lower crime rates, firearm-related crime rates than we do. How can that be? So the evidence is everywhere that, that, that their idiom of, you know, more guns equal more death couldn't be less true. It's, 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 it's totally false. Anyway, I just thought it was such a great example. It's like, I'm not even looking for these examples. And boop, here it is. Here's another country that thought, you know what? Law-abiding citizens should have guns. Then criminals maybe will think twice before victimizing them. Go figure. So uh, the only other thing I want to talk to you about real quick is we have a new, uh, new contest, right? If you remember, if you've been with the CCFR for quite some time, we used to do these big contests and they were like all these, you know, these big prize packages and they were, they were really big prize packages. And we haven't done a contest for, I think it's like two or three years. And the reason for that is we've been crazy busy, like crazy busy. We've been doing smaller stuff, but it's been, you know, it's been a while. So anyway, we have a new contest. It's called the Ultimate Choice 2022. And uh, the reason why it's a choice and uh, is because I like, I like giving a prize pack away on behalf of the CCFR that is whatever you want it to be. And that's the reason why we didn't put a, a bundle of guns together. Um, because, uh, I think people, they might be into reloading. They might just want ammunition. They want, might want guns. They might want hunting supplies. They might want soft goods like backpacks or whatever. So basically the shopping sprees first prize is a $10,000 shopping spree at a participating CCFR business member. 
So we just now, if you look, if you uh, follow the link in the description box, make sure you read all the rules and all the contest uh, details before entering. Basically, there's a list of qual of uh, participating retailers. Now that list is going to grow because we came up with this idea like a week ago. So we've had to pull this together quick. More retailers as they respond to our messages will get on that list. But anyway, you'll have plenty of people to choose from. And uh, so the first prize is a $10,000 shopping spree. Spend it on whatever you want. Two second prizes at $5,000 each shopping sprees and five $1,000 shopping sprees. So you have eight chances to win and these are great prizes. They're, the prize is whatever you want it to be. So anyway, I think uh, what it is is you donate $25 to the CCFR between now and the, uh, I think it's the somewhere around the end of July. Check out the date in the description box. I don't recall it right now. I didn't write down, um, but it's, you're not going to have to wait around forever to win this. Is you have like three weeks, so make sure that you enter. Um, the reason why it's just um, donation only and not just buying a membership is because when you donate to the CCFR, 100% of that money goes into projects. It goes into the CCFR's general revenue to execute projects with, right? So sometimes when you have other stuff, it's like, well, then we have costs to those entries. So anyway, um, if you uh, would like to do that, you can. There's no limit to the amount of times that you want to enter. And uh, your support for the CCFR is greatly appreciated. And of course, we're raising money to continue to do the things that we have to do now in the short term and in the future. So we've been, as it applies to the handgun freeze or whatever, we've been working with the conservatives nonstop. We've been on media, on mainstream media nonstop. We've been making videos. You've probably seen a few of those videos. Let me mention as well. Those videos, we've been making some really nice stuff, obviously, right? Some really attractive to watch videos. And those videos aren't for you to watch and be like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the videos are for you to share and to use as a as a, a replacement for you trying to do a presentation for, for someone that's undecided. You know, so share those videos, try to get people to watch them so that they can understand what's so bad about this latest RCMP scandal. What's so bad about handgun freezes? What's so bad about all these things? That's what our explainers and stuff are for. So there's more explainers coming too. And uh, as I said, we're working with the conservatives to slow down this, this handgun freeze so that everybody can place their handguns where they need to be, transfer some to your, to your kids or whatever, or buy a few new guns while you can, while they're in the country, because these might be the last handguns you'll ever be able to own. And same thing with, uh, with your kids or, or what have you, if they have PALs now. Um, we're continuing, we got to continue to pay for our big lawsuit, our small lawsuits as well. And uh, obviously, we have to be ready to campaign hard against Bill C-21 when the summer's over. So there's a lot of, we have a lot of projects planned, and we have to fund it somehow. If you want to help, that's one way you can do it, is make a $25 donation and get a free entry into the Ultimate Choice 2022 contest. Anyway, I really appreciate all your support for uh, for all that and enabling us to work on your behalf. It's a, it's a great honor. Anyway, having said that... Um, Let's bring on Tracy Wilson right now. All right, on the Skype machine, I have Tracy Wilson from the CCFR. Wilson! <laughs> Everywhere I go, I hear it and I love it. <laughs> All right, so we better dive right into it. So there's a new there's new information on the RCMP liberal uh, government scandal where they wanted to leverage, they wanted to release information before the RCMP on the ground in Nova Scotia wanted to be released in the largest mass shooting in Canadian history. Um, and it was the make model of, uh, I'm just kind of setting the table for you, the make model uh, of firearm because the uh, the liberals had the gun ban rolling out. They saw this as a great political opportunity and they wanted to maximize the political gain by getting people even more angry 
uh, about guns and the types of guns and what have you. And of course, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky cooperated in this political agenda. And then when it sh the focus shifted to Trudeau and Blair, I mean, who would ever believe a thing that comes out of their mouths? You'd have to have rocks in your head to do that. Um, they, of course, lied and denied that they put any pressure on anybody, um, more or less, I guess. Um, and now, and of course, so that shifts over to um, to uh, Darren Campbell, Superintendent Darren Campbell, like, oh, well, did this really happen? Well, people have come out to corroborate his story. Lynn Scanlon, a civilian RCMP, uh, I think, uh, communications director or something, yeah, came to back right. him because she was actually in the meeting. So there's a, a direct witness. And then even some uh, some uh, other RCMP brass, uh, including the former commissioner of the RCMP, coming out to support Darren Campbell. Yeah, that's right. So there's been a lot of support for Darren Campbell. And even in uh, the House of Commons in question period before the House rose, of course, Bill Blair is being hammered with questions about this. And um, he was actually forced to admit that Superintendent Campbell, of course, is a very reliable, credible source. So it's all kind of fallen apart Interestingly enough, as well, um, it's come to light that those four pages of Darren Campbell's handwritten notes that talked about the political pressure applied by Trudeau and Blair on Brenda Lucky, those were missing for the from the original disclosure that was given to the Mass Casualty Commission and held secretly for four months. So it's finally come out. Of course, the Conservatives are furious and they are asking for David Lametti to appear before the Public Safety um, and National Security Standing Committee to explain why the Justice Department held back those four pages. He says he had to check if it was protected under privilege or if something was going on there. But it's, it's interesting. Either you've got Bill Blair who's saying that Darren Campbell is not a trustworthy source and you've got David Lametti hiding four pages of notes. So which is it? Like either you trust him or you don't, right? So I think there would be no reason to hold back those four pages of notes if they didn't come from a credible source. So, yeah, Lamedi yeah. in the middle again. You know, he's he doesn't get anywhere near as much heat as he deserves yes, because he's he's, right. he's 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 pretty dirty too. I mean, this is the guy that that really had a lot to say about the um, the use of the Emergencies Act, mm -hmm. and you know, he's the one that went on on uh, on national media and said, oh, this is completely consistent with the charter and whatever, all this stuff, uh, along with everything else that he's done. But he was he was he was out there. He supports this liberal government, you know, unquestioning, unquestionably. Oh, yeah. Right. He, he supports them. He's out there. And, and of course, I think he's a law professor. So I think, he, you yeah. know, he's out there like, oh, this is all consistent. This is all good. What emergency act um, use? What based on some uh, uh, some story from the CBC that turned out to be false? <laughs> you know, like like this is this is clown clown world level banana republic level, um, you know, chicanery. Like it's un, it's unbelievable what we're experiencing in this country right now, and it's I've unbelievable. I've never seen, yeah, ahead, I've never seen anything like this, and I don't think anybody else has either. I don't even understand if people realize how how big of a problem these things are that we've been going through. So well, I don't know. Yeah, it's and then the amazing part is is that some. There's probably 30% of the population, maybe less, but at least 30% that are so intellectually compromised from all the gaslighting and all the lies and all the scandals. So they're desensitized and they've yeah. got their heels dug in. They don't want to admit that this is the these are the worst group of people that ever existed in Canadian politics that that had power. Like this is yeah. and that's a that's a 
a verifiable fact. This is the most corrupt government we've ever seen in our history. And there are people still supporting them. Justin Trudeau has been elected three times. Yeah, it's, it's I, I, dark days. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this, this scandal alone should have been enough to, would have been enough to destroy any government right up until maybe the mid, you know, right up until maybe the um, 2013, 2014, you know, and now we're in a new era. So about a year before Justin Trudeau got elected, all the way through his reign, you know, the, the role of government in, in Canadians' lives has changed dramatically and the behavior of government has changed dramatically. We've never seen anything like it. I mean, look at the scandals. Mark Norman, yeah. SNC-Lavalin, We Charity, Emergencies Act. Um, I don't know what else. You know, the Aga Khan thing. Like just, and the lying and the, and the hypocrisy. It's, it's amazing. And the division. You know, COVID, just everything to do with COVID, just that the management of that and the missing billions, billions upon billions of dollars missing. And the Auditor General never got a never got extra people to track all that money on purpose. We have we've got money to spread all over the world, but we don't have an extra couple million dollars for the Auditor General to make sure the books are being kept accurately. Just just it's, wild. It's it, it sounds it sounds conspiracy theory ish but it's not like this is this is literally happening in canada and i don't know i yeah. don't know well it's not where a, it's gonna go it's it's not a theory it's i i i keep saying it either something's true or it's not right like either something's true or it's not you know the, the, you can always rely if you can under if you can distinguish the truth from something that's that's untrue then you don't have to worry about all the gaslighting and stuff just just yeah. stick with what you know but uh just amazing um, anyway, let's move on to uh, the, the the brazen daylight Hollywood style um, gunfight in a bank robbery, broad daylight bank robbery in Saanich, British Columbia. So just so you know, Saanich is a very small town um, on Vancouver Island, which is a very small community anyway. Um, and this this situation is just is just wild. I mean, this is a full on gunfight with police. There's twin brothers. Uh, they were both killed. They were the perpetrators and six police were were wounded. And I think a couple seriously wounded. They were all shot uh, in this gun battle outside of this bank in Saanich. Um, and they had a car full of explosives. And they had a car full of explosives as well. So something else is something is up with these two. There's a lot more to this story. A lot of information floats around, um, let's say, bureaucracies. And a lot of that information comes my way. From time to time, because I worked with police for a decade and I have a lot of relationships and even through the CCFR too, you know, police that are gun owners going, this is ridiculous. And there's a lot of those and doctors going, this is ridiculous. And there's a lot of those too. Uh, people, they don't get the recognition that the doctors and, and police that align with the government's uh, position on things, they don't get any recognition like those guys do. Um, but apparently there's a lot more going on in this whole thing than anybody sees right now and if all and if this extra information is verified then you'll see that rolling out after but nonetheless the media jumped on this thing and i think the big question is why would two twin brothers in their early 20s with their whole lives ahead of them decide that they're going to do this and and the and the level of commitment that you saw there too so the media immediately looks through their social media and grabs onto a picture of one of these guys wearing a CCFR t-shirt and it's like, well, yeah, they also drive a Toyota and also, you know, maybe right. they banked at a certain bank. Well, is that yeah. bank encouraging, you know, funding these guys, you know, stuff like that, right? Providing services to extremists. But a couple of 
media outlets reached out to us for comment. Like, well, what, what would you guys like to say about this? And it's funny because it's like, well, what's, what's this, what's the, what's the big angle on this whole story? Man, man buys t-shirt on online store. <laughs> you know, and I, I asked the reporter cause a reporter called me on Sunday and, and asked, you know, do you want to, you know, uh, talk about this? Do you have any comment? And I'm like, what do the CCFR should denounce armed robbery? I, I don't under, maybe I don't get it. Maybe I'm not as smart as these journalists are. So anyway, I guess this is their takeaway. It's like, well, he's wearing a CCFR shirt. Obviously the gun lobby's behind this, right? So it's, it's pretty crazy. And I think, and I know I'm kind of going on and on about it because, but it is important while that exists in Canada and those kinds of journalists are not a friend to the people of Canada. They're a problem. They're a problem to Canada, right? They're, they're part of the reason why we're in the state that we are. Um, but not all media and more and more like the CCFR gets a lot of media coverage, mm -hmm. but more and more media, the people that work in media are starting to figure it out and they're starting to say, you know what, there has to be a line between fantasy and reality, between partisanship and lies and being in service to people because people, a lot of people still trust the media. They, they're having to take a stand and, and we actually got some favorable coverage where we got yes. to talk about the real things that we bring to the table, which is, you know, what kinds of guns were these? Why do Canadians own these types of guns? Are these assault weapons? You know, because we are experts, actually, after all. Mm -hmm. And some media, they didn't take that bait. And they wanted to tell the other side of the story or just at least inform Canadians about, you know, the peripheral stuff, right? Like, what about these guns? How do you get these guns? Why would anybody own them? Stuff like that. So that was really kind of an encouraging part. Yeah. I, I think there's a shift in that as well. I think... You know, between the the May 2020 sweeping gun ban that has proved completely fruitless, you know, we've still all own our guns. There's been no change in, um, you know, the level of street violence. Same with this handgun freeze. Like none of this stuff is doing anything. And you see a lot more, um, a lot more criticism from the media on stuff like this, calling them out for not focusing on root causes. And you're exactly right. This crazy story about these two young twins from Saanich attempting to do something that is literally impossible. It's not the 1920s here. You can't knock over banks. Like the, there's going to be a lot more to the story, but if at the end of all of, you know, reading that and learning about all of that, if your angle for your story is man buys t-shirt from online store, like that's, that speaks to the level of journalism that we're experiencing, but yeah, things are, are improving. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think, think so. I think there is. And, and not to, not to digress too much into this topic. It's when we started the CCFR, we wanted to be basically um, at the service of media when they yeah. needed the, the, you know, the real facts behind these kinds of things, even in the story, was it the, um, what, it wasn't the city TV story. They did a good job. Maybe it was global. But anyway, a police officer uh, basically said that uh, the SKS was is an assault weapon still used in militaries today. I think it was a, 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 a police officer that said that. And that it's, yeah, it's an assault rifle. And it's a variant of the AK-47. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people in media still think that police know something about firearms and police are like doctors. They don't know anything about firearms. Doctors know how to patch, patch up the holes and, and repair the damage caused by firearms. They don't know anything about firearms. They don't know why people own these guns. They don't know what these guns, uh, what, what they're used for. They don't, they don't know any of that stuff. 
right? They don't even know what the military uses and what the military doesn't use, and neither do police. No, you know, no. so it's just it's 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 just interesting. But I I I do see a um a real change, and I'm I'm being absolutely genuine. I do see a real change in certain parts of the media. Uh, community in Canada. There's some people are just sick and tired of feeling like they're towing the line and they're seeing what it's doing to the country. And so, you know, more people like like that, more journalists need to stand up and say, you know what, I don't care. And I have I've had conversations directly like this. I'm 50 years old. I've done my time. I don't care. They can fire me if they want. Like a journalist for a, a, a mainstream media outlet, a big one in Canada recently told me that during an interview. I don't even care. You know what? People got to find out what the truth is. And I was just like, okay. And, you know, are you from CSIS? You know, like, like, is this a a setup somehow? But it's just, things are, things are changing. Some people are starting to have enough and same thing with, with, with the police, right? Bob Paulson comes out of obscurity, out of retirement, says, Hey, no, you guys can't do this. This is, this is, you've gone too far. Darren Campbell is the real deal. He's right. You're wrong. You're going to have to admit I'm standing behind him. Like we need more police to stand up, more bureaucrats to stand up, more media to stand up, because I hopefully people are starting to see this is actually destroying the country. It's destroying our way of life. You know, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Anyway, that's pretty heavy, right? It's well, the truth is heavy. I mean, it is. is, This is is where we're at. All right. So um, now someone has had some bad luck recently, and then there were five (laughs) CPC candidates. Patrick Brown is out. What's going on? Sad trombone. So we are down to five candidates. Uh, last night in a very late night secret decision from the leadership election organizing committee in a vote 11 to 6, I believe it was, they voted to disqualify Patrick Brown from CPC leadership. Now, he is currently the mayor of Brampton. I'm not sure where this leaves him in that. But they have said that they've been investigating him for weeks, that there is some sort of Uh, corruption going on with his memberships or possibly donations. They have sent all of this over to Elections Canada, um, stating that they believe he has violated federal law. So we'll see what Elections Canada comes out with. Hopefully it doesn't take too long. Um, And yeah, so he has been completely disqualified. Of course, over at the Patrick Brown camp, they are screaming and yelling something about establishment party run by Pierre Polyev and this has something to do with him, um, which is sort of typical when somebody, um, you know, is either accused of or guilty of of doing something. But um, Polyev's camp is uh, confirming that they have not filed any complaint. This had nothing to do with them. And I guess we'll have to wait for Elections Canada to get to the bottom of it and figure out what's going on. But, yeah, as it stands now, we are down to five candidates. So, Wow. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, I don't think it's... I mean, we don't know whether Patrick Brown is guilty or not. There's a there's an accusation, but I think it is, um, you know, we can speculate that there might be something there because the party didn't just deal with it themselves. They handed it to Elections Canada. Oh, yeah. They so turned it, it over. didn't just be like, oh, yeah, you're body. out. Yeah, you're out yeah. and, you know, whatever. Because the CPC leadership race has been, um, they've had a few problems themselves. And that's why I, you know, like I don't, no one is absolutely good, you know, but if you do look at the way that conservatives handle that stuff overall, they didn't just say you're out and whatever, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, you can sue the party if you want, but we'll just, we'll, we'll bleed you out of your money and then you'll be done. You're not going to win this kind of thing. Um, They handed it to Elections Canada. So that in itself kind of looks like "Mm, there may be some validity there. So 
If, well, uh, and here's the thing. Like, I know I've seen a lot of liberal pundits all over Twitter say, oh, this looks so bad on the conservatives. And, you know, the Tories are like, you know, mired in corruption and whatever. And I'm like, hey, look, there's been allegations about this. There's obviously some sort of information um, enough to compile and forward to Elections Canada for investigation, saying there's federal laws broken. That's the way conservatives deal with something. If there's something dirty going on, they're going to shine a bright disinfecting light on it and get it dealt with. I mean, you know, I think if he was in the Liberal Party, he'd probably be promoted to a cabinet position for this. So, I mean, we'll have to reserve judgment for uh, the outcome of the Elections Canada investigation. But I think that's the right thing to do. If there's something, if there's something inappropriate or wrong going on, then stop it, fix it, and and be done with it. So, yeah, that's and, I support it. And the and the conservatives need to do that because they've had their um, their controversies in the past, which undermines the trust in the party itself. They've had some yeah. issues, and they need to. And, and again, I mean, I've, I said this about the the PPC, right? Like it's this these kinds of things are not irreparable but you need to clean the party up you need to clean you cannot tolerate corruption because you can't nope. you can't run against somebody because they're corrupt and then have issues with corruption yourself right so if this is if this is the party cleaning itself up then that's great and i support that you know yep, I, I would exactly. love to see the liberals clean their party up you know i would love to see the ppc clean Me up what's too. going on there too right yeah. so anyway this is the way it should be it has if to you, be right we're not going to clean our country up way. until we clean so. ourselves up yeah, I think that if this had been sort of swept under the rug or tried to deal with quietly on the side or whatever, I think that would look terrible on the conservatives. I think the fact that they have forwarded whatever information they've got, which must be something, forwarded it to Elections Canada for investigation, good. So so it shall be. Find out. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Um, moving on. So briefly, you went to Wolverine Days over at Wolverine Supplies. Yeah, shifting gears to good news. Yeah. This is one of my favorite events, literally in the country. Of course, it's been a couple of years due to the pandemic that we've been able to get together. But I headed out to Wolverine Days in beautiful Vernon, Manitoba, hosted by Team Hipwell at Wolverine Supplies. This is a huge event, and it's so well run. It's literally the best range event I've ever been to. Their team is just incredible. I, I don't know how many volunteers they had. It seemed like 100, but it was it was amazing. And this is held in a little town in Manitoba with a population of 2,000. But I'm sure that there was more there was more than 2,000 people that went through the event. So people travel from all around. Of course, there was distributors and manufacturers from all across North America. And it's just a great time to get together. It is a fundraising event. It's a two-day range event. And, of course, they managed to raise $20,000 total. 10000 went to the Air Ambulance uh, Fund out there that, of course, really helps with rural rescues and trauma rescues. And the other $10,000 went to the CCFR. So just amazing patrons of the community, not just the firearms community, but the greater community uh, in Manitoba. And just wonderful people. Their hospitality never, never disappoints. Just amazing. Awesome. Well, we uh, we really appreciate all the support that we get from Wolverine, and they've always been there for us too. And always. I don't know if we mentioned last. I'm sure we mentioned in the last podcast, but Ipsit Canada came through with a, a big donation for us as well, and we really appreciate their support. Um, and I'll also mention too. I think it was last week that I got a picture taken with um, the president of the Mission Rod and Gun Club in Mission, British right. Columbia, yeah. who donated five thousand dollars. And um, I just 
Obviously, I can't go through the whole list of everyone who's donated because it's it's a long list. We post that stuff on our Twitter feed and we post it on Facebook as well. So everybody knows who is helping in this fight. But we can't do all the things that we do without that support. And and that, again, broken record. I'm always talking about how that's such a gesture of trust and just how meaningful that is. We can't do all the stuff that we're doing and fight as hard as we're fighting without that kind of support. So really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And for everybody involved in Ipsic Canada, big thank you for the incredible support you've shown us. And hopefully I will see most of you out east uh, at the end of the month. July 27th through to the 30th is Ipsic Nationals, which of course is the handgun championships in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia. So I've been out for some Western hospitality and I'm on my way out east at the end of the month to set up a booth there. I'll be selling swag and accepting donations, probably do a raffle and just spend some time with the Ipsic community because they've just been awesome too. So yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for now. Thanks for the report and we will see you next time. All right. See you then. All right, that's going to do it for this episode, episode 121 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I really appreciate all of you watching. Um, I appreciate the community that we have, sharing our information, staying active, staying optimistic. A lot of this stuff is dark, but we got to stay optimistic and keep fighting. Now more than ever, right? It's really important because if you give up, you're just handing the victory to these people. We have to fight every single day until the next election and then fight to keep these people down after that and fight to get our rights back. And yeah, you know what? Philosophically, they are rights. So anyway, having said that, um, I recently went to Mission Rod and Gun Club uh, in Mission, British Columbia to collect a check, a donation, $5,000 check that they donated to the CCFR. And the club president asked me, hey, well, what can the club do to help? And I'm like, well, helping the CCFR continue to do projects definitely is, I can't ask you for more than that. But there are things that individuals can do, right? And this is what kind of triggered me to talk about it. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, what is it that the, the clubs can do again? Because I get caught up in what we're doing because we have so many things on the go. I, you know, I can only keep so much stuff in, in my head at any given time. And I'm like, well, as an individual, let's even go down from the club for, we'll involve the club in a second. But as an individual, I think a lot of people forget how much power they have as individuals. Number one, you got to vote in an election. Number two, you got to convince as many people as you can to vote and drive them to the polls, like in your vehicle, right? Um, and But aside from that, in the interim, you are probably a member of a gun club. Certainly if you own a handgun or an AR-15, you're a member of a gun club. And uh, what you can do is you can go to the club because the clubs clubs are, are pretty significant resources. And you can go to the club and you can say, listen, um, let's all play a part in trying to trying to hold this government back. We need to spread information. We need to make sure that our members know what's going on politically. We need to make sure that our members know how they can affect this, how they can stop this from happening. And how do you do that? You spread information. So ask the club, hey, every time we send out a club newsletter, put in one of the CCFR explainer videos, put in one of their new videos about this new scandal and and how the, the government is trying to leverage the suffering of of all these people in Nova Scotia just to make sure that they get the most political mileage that they can out of their new gun ban, right? Like this is just horrible, malevolent behavior. So stuff like that. Now, a lot of clubs are, are get your club to do that. Get your club to hold open houses, right? We know the best way to get Canadians to start paying attention to the gun issue and to start recognizing the information at, as lies as they get from the government and as wildly distorted and divisive 
the way to do that is to take them shooting, right? So get them around Canadian gun culture, which is regular people like me and you with families and jobs and all the rest of that stuff. And they're like, okay, these people aren't, I shouldn't hate these people. You know, like the government says, these are regular people. And you know what? This is just a machine. As long as you know how to operate and you, you store it safely, there's nothing wrong with this. These are, and they're important. Guns are important to the people that own them. It's not like, it's not like a, a set of golf clubs. These are, this is very unique property that is incredibly important to people. So if we're going to take it away, we better be able to justify it. We need to, we need Canadians to understand those things. And the best way to do that is to expose them to our culture, which is the best culture in the country. Just, you know, people from all walks of life, all races, all ethnicities, all religions, they're all gun owners, right? So it's a very diverse community and it's a great community and it represents Canada quite, quite, um, quite closely. So anyway, that's, uh, that's what you can do. So the club can send out information in the newsletter, can get people motivated, um, and you can do open houses. Those are some things that you can do to make a difference like right now. Now, some clubs are, are worried about spreading information that has a political um, spin to it uh, because they're nonprofit societies or they're registered charities. So I will tell you this, there's, you can't, you would be concerned if you were producing those videos yourself. You would be concerned if you're producing material like that. But if you're sharing material from the firearms community, which is your mandate, you can do that and not have to worry about having the government step into your life. Now, this is not legal advice, but in my experience, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a notary, I'm not any of those things. But my ex in my experience, that isn't an issue. Okay, so anyway, if you want to get a second opinion, I would encourage you to do that. You can go to a lawyer and ask them about the not-for-profit act and whatever, right? depends on, on your province, but you can check on that. So anyway, that's what you can do to help. And um, yeah, the videos that we make, like, I just want to reiterate that. Make sure that you're sharing those things. You're sending them to people and just like, do me a favor as a friend, watch this video. This is outrageous and this has to stop and send them, send them the video. So there are things that you can do as an individual and you can do them right now when you're finished watching this video. So anyway, stay positive. A lot of this stuff is dark, but like I said, I think it was the last, the last podcast or the one before that. Don't let them take your power by letting all this dark stuff get to you, right? Don't let them take your power because when you get exhausted, you just hand the victory to them. You're like, you won. You, you had more endurance, intellectual, you know, emotional endurance than I did. You can win it. And they're laughing. So just keep it in perspective, right? Focus on what's important in your life, your relationships and your family and your friends and your, your guns and your gun club and your other communities that you're involved in. And don't let them take your power. So stay positive, take care, and we'll see you next time. This is another episode of the CCFR Radio Podcast. Remember, if you don't stand up for your own ability to own and use firearms, who will? Join the CCFR or donate right now at www.firearmrights.ca.